the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back to uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our roundtable regulars include Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And joining us uh, for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, author of American Schism, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome back to you as well. It's a pleasure to be here. And just before we uh, ended the, uh, the, the first hour, um, Henry was about to say something, and and I didn't want to cut him off, so I I, oh. I didn't let him get started. But uh, if you want to go ahead and pick that up, and then we'll move on. Thank you. All I need is thirty seconds. Uh, we don't always tell all of our secrets, Seth, but uh, <laughs> we learn from people like you and Mark Everson about the uh, latent flaws in our thinking when we're leaning partisans. But we don't always lean partisans. We learn that from others who were much more stable, secure, and comfortable. So we thank you for your input and always glad to hear from you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. And and let me just throw this in. Uh, one of the things that I that I really enjoy about this roundtable every week is um, something that uh, Seth talked about in his interview on the show and in his book, American Schism, and that is um, replacing unreason with reason. 
and and I like to think that that we have pretty civilized conversations here, even when there are disagreements. And and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, make Seth a good fit for this uh, for this show. I love his book. I got to get that book. I, I I've often made the point. I think and it's a phrase you've used a lot, Tom. Is I think one of the causes for our divisions has been the rant radio of the last couple of decades that tends to fuel so much of that division. Uh, and you've, you've often argued <laughs> I, against what you call rant radio. You know, I was talking with uh, progressive, like phrase. Uh, progressive um, radio host Tom Hartman in the first hour of the show today about his uh, his book, The Hidden History of Healthcare. And, um, he, you know, I always give guests a, a chance to let people know where they can find out more about him. And he gave a website to uh, a blog that that he does um, every day, a, a daily op-ed piece that he does. And he used the phrase, it becomes the rant for my radio show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, that, that just shows how entrenched that... that phenomenon is well serial litigant robert davis sued michigan's redistricting commission tuesday for moving ahead with a schedule that will have the group missing the constitutional deadlines for proposing and adopting new maps for the state's legislative and congressional districts michigan's constitution requires the michigan independent citizen uh, redistricting commission to adopt the new districts no later than November 1st after providing at least 45 days for public comment on the proposed maps. But the commission is expected to blow past the September 17th constitutional deadline for drawing new maps. The commission had anticipated it would miss deadline because of an unprecedented delay in census data and moved forward with an alternative mapping schedule. In suing the commission, Davis of Highland Park called on Michigan Supreme Court to require the commission to meet the September 17th and November 1st deadlines. Are there going to be a lot of challenges ahead for uh, Michigan's redistricting commission? Oh, I think so, because there's going to be unhappy yeah, people so in both parties. And yeah. again, because of the census, they, they are going to miss deadlines. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but the census numbers were, were very late in coming in, and those, I think those uh, proposals require a period of public hearings that delays things even further. So I, it, it just seems like delay is inevitable. And... I don't know. My thought is maybe it's better to do it right than do it too quickly. I, I realize that time is important for candidates as they get ready for their campaigns next year. But uh, yeah, one, one would hope the courts would, would modify those deadlines somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul always sends me uh, an email on uh, Tuesday, the day before we do uh, armchair politics, with some bullet points of things that he thought we might want to touch on and uh, we're usually pretty much on the same page but he mentioned one that I don't have any specific 
notes on, but it's it's big in the news this morning. Oh, I was going to say at the end of his email, he always puts in whatever else happens in the next 24 hours. <laughs> That's um, often the case. And, and that happens a lot, as is the case today. And I thought maybe before I start into some of the uh, pieces that I selected for today, we'd uh, take a few minutes uh, before the next break to talk about what happened in California yesterday. A surprising lead um, in that, yeah. that fight for, uh, against the uh, recall of Governor Newsom in California. He got he had to get 50% of the vote to fight off the uh, recall, and he ended up with 71%. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, did you notice how many people of color that joined the effort? Oh, I think that's I think that's true, and I think the Democrats really turned out in big numbers. Um, but polling, interestingly, had him and the uh, the leader of the pack challenging him um, as being pretty much neck and neck. How much did uh, the president and the vice president and other um, high-profile Democrats visiting the state to campaign for Newsom? impact getting Democrats out to vote on this? I think it was well, as much as that. I mean, Go ahead, Seth. I, I think it was as much that yeah. as it was the, his successful characterization of uh, having, having kind of an uh, opposition figure, an elder that he could focus on, that the whole campaign could focus on to make it less about his performance and more about the fear of what they call the Trump clone. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean... How does Trump play and again, in California? Again, the recall began... And, of course, California is a very Democratic state, so, I mean, the Democratic majority was there. The key was just getting them to turn out and make sure they did turn out in some ways. Um, right. Yeah, see, and they, they have... Um, you know, we always talk about how, how goofy the politics in Flint and uh, the state of Michigan are. But their recall, um, all they have to do is, if the, if the sitting governor doesn't get 50% of the vote, you know, if 50% of the people don't vote no, um, then it throws the whole thing into chaos and it becomes a special election to fill the vacancy. Right. And, and, and the, that's... The first, the, 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 whoever finishes first, of the, I think there were 46 candidates running for governor uh, to oppose him, and whoever had finished first would have been the governor if, if he had not gotten 50%. Does it, does it work that way, or do they then have a runoff of all the other candidates? Hey, if you got to have 50%. I, I thought it was... Uh, yeah, or you don't. No, I, I thought it was. I thought, you, I thought you voted. I thought you voted yes or no on the recall, and then you you could vote for your favorite choice to to replace Newsom if if he failed. Um, yeah, but and, and that's you where still the have to get more than fifty percent. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, it, you still if everybody got less than recall, there was. A, yeah, go ahead. It's a very quirky kind of system they have there. And I, again, I, I think I heard there were 46 people running for governor on the, sh the long shopping list of names. Um, and whoever had finished first out of that, of that list would have been governor if Newsom had not gotten 
50 percent or more i th i think what uh, happens is if um if he if if no one gets 50 plus one it goes into a runoff right. of the top two yeah, yeah. I agree. um you gotta yes i i think you're right uh tom because you got to have at least 50% of the votes to know that people out there made the choice. The plurality of the people out engaged made the choice for who becomes We're, the next leader. Now, I, again, it has to be that way. I didn't, I didn't really prepare anything for this for today, so I'm not sure. Were those 46 people that ran Paul, were they primarily Republicans? Uh, no, I think many of them were, but because there were also with forty-six many who people, no party. I mean, there were with forty-six people running. It it seems like it would be very difficult to pull the kind of numbers against the recall that Newsom got the seventy-one percent. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if every person who ran got one percent of the vote, you're at forty-six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And That's it's right. just it's just right. it's just surprising yeah. that with that many people running that uh seventy one percent said, Nope, keep him. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad the recalls uh don't I'm not in favor of recalls. I'll let the people choose the leader. I believe in that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, quote my favorite T V show again, The West Wing and uh President Bartlett saying, "It turns out we have recalls. They're called elections." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. How I feel. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. And and uh, and we have, as I as I mentioned in that that piece about the redistricting commission here in Michigan, um, the Detroit Free Press referred to Robert Davis as a serial litigant. And and we have, you know people in, in uh, Genesee County here where we are based and around the state of Michigan that um, that really like to use that recall option. And it's, um, you know, and, and we had a serial recaller in, uh, in the city of Flint up until just a, a very short time ago. Remember him, Paul? 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 Well, it looks like I got uh, disconnected here. I'll have to um, reconnect with everybody. I think the stream dropped. It's a, a computer glitch here. And we'll get everybody rounded up. We have a, a break coming up here. And uh, we'll, we'll take the break and we'll come back with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. If you're listening to us at uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We'll let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some uh, messages as well. And uh, 
I will use this time to try and get reconnected with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, and our uh, our guest pundit this week, Seth Radwell. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. 
No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program while I try to reconnect with our uh, panel of political pundits. Uh, here we go. I think we've uh, maybe got Paul back. Paul, you with me? It's back. Are we all back? I think we're- Yes. Oh, are we all back? Great. I think so. Yes. We, we lost you. <laughs> yeah, what, well, I, and I'll just explain briefly what happened there is the um, streaming server for the show, which impacts the phone, dropped briefly for a couple of minutes. Oh. And it won't, uh-huh. and it won't show up in any of the replays of the show or anything because it, it continues to record. And I uh, I just went to break, and we're just coming back out of break. So we'll... Uh, will continue. Um, Florida's first district court on Friday reinstated a stay on mask mandates in schools, blocking local school requirements for now, court documents show. Lawyers for Governor Ron DeSantis filed the emergency appeal after a judge ruled on Wednesday that the state must stop its enforcement of a mask ban. The latest court ruling comes amid a showdown between the state and some local school districts that have insisted on requiring students to wear masks as COVID-19 infections surge. Can school districts in Florida opt out of in-person learning if they are barred from requiring masks? The law may be different there. Yeah, I don't know what the Florida law might be. It certainly, I presume they did an awful lot of that this past year, I'm guessing. So, uh, yeah, it may be an option. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Senator Mitch McConnell is locked in a proxy war with former President Donald Trump this fall as both Republicans work to position candidates for primaries taking place all over the country next spring and summer. But with control of the Senate on the line, McConnell is very carefully choosing his battles with Trump still the head of the party and clearly its most dominant voice. The two Republicans are aligned on some Senate races and at odds in others. Most acutely in Georgia where McConnell had hoped the legendary football star Herschel Walker would decline to run. Instead, at the encouragement of Trump, Walker is now the leading Republican Senate candidate. How much will the 2022 election impact the 2024 presidential election? A lot. Oh, I think so. And I think I think the key thing is, you know, what. Everybody still there? Okay. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I think if if Trump is successful in getting his people in, he may be a very viable candidate. But if if most of his his supported candidates fall by the wayside, 
Uh, he may also fall by the wayside. Right. Yeah, this is a battleground for, for President Trump. Uh, if he does well and they reclaim the House uh, and maintain the Senate, in the Senate, uh, the presidential election could uh, be determined already. It will be Trump as the as one of the candidates on the Republican Party side. <clears throat> that doesn't guarantee, of course, a victory, but it right. depends on where right. the Republican right. Party is. Depends on where the Republican Party is. If and he gets along well with the Republican Party, he, he will do well. And it seems like so far he's been remarkably successful at taking over much of the party. I mean, we've seen it here in Genesee County, as you've mentioned, Henry, and... Uh, Certainly around the nation, you see this somewhat the same patterns. Uh, but as I say, if, if he's successful next year, that'll boost him. But if, if most of his folks fail to get the nomination or win, that may be a different picture altogether. Now, you know, the Republican Party has to make the face, present a face that it looks as though Trump and, and Republicans are getting along. But inside, there's still that uh, division. And uh, and yet people will gladly say, well, Trump owns the Republican Party. But he doesn't. He doesn't own the Republican Party. The Republican Party, it will be here long after President Trump is gone, guys. So I we, wish they we knew that. To... I, I would, I, Republicans in the party would realize that. Yeah. On the federal level, it seems, like that they're, it seems like they're putting all of their, many, not all, are putting all their chips in with him, and that's what what's so frustrating. Yeah, and, and and yet, but he is he is exerting his own. He's pushing his elbows out, letting people know that he has space around him that he controls, and nobody dares to enter. And he has Republicans at bay that way. So, uh, but yet the party is bigger. You know, uh, nothing is great uh, greater than the sum of his parts. The Republican mm -hmm. Party is the sum of its part, guys. Uh, so, and you, and there are all kind of moods and aspirations within the party. And most people would like love to go with President Trump, but he's got to be the team player. Mm -hmm. The party is about teams; it's not about individuals. Right. I'm sorry if you guys don't know that. I, I, and you I are seeing those. It. You're seeing those voices who have opposed him here and there. I mean the the Cheneys and the the Myers from Michigan here, and, and a number of others who have spoken out uh, against Trump and opposed him on some issues. Uh, yeah. How well they, it it'll be worth seeing how well they survive too. Will, will Liz Cheney survive? <coughs> uh, will uh, will uh, others who have voted either for impeachment or or, or, or opposed him in other, in other ways, will they be able to survive a Republican primary? But President Trump himself has changed. He doesn't call people names anymore. He doesn't attack people by their gender or their age, race, or color, or any of those things. He's very cool about that. He doesn't uh, attack foreign leaders by well, calling them names. He has grown... He's also, Henry, not getting the mic time that he used to get. Yeah, but uh, somehow, uh, but his character has changed. I, what so, makes you, I'm, I'm curious to me. I, I haven't heard as much true because he has a, a less of a mic. But, but can you, are there specific examples where you think he's changed his tone? 
Yes, because I get his emails. I get uh, the activity on him all the time. I get the and okay. besides, yeah, and I'm on the inside because I'm a contributor to him. Well, you know, I'm um, you know, a contributor. I get his emails too. In fact, I, I'm looking at my emails here. I have I received four or five things from him in the last hour or so. And uh, let me see here. He 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 often just kind of republishes other articles. You know. On his point of view, attacking Biden, endorsing yes, various people Biden. here and there. Yeah, but um, he attacks him on a political basis, but not on uh, ancillary things. How he looks, how tall he is, how big his lips are, or whatever. He doesn't do that anymore. But he's using the email almost like he used to use the, uh, the Twitter yes, account he does. in the past. He does. Well, so a lot depends uh, on how uh, the election goes in 2022 uh, for the House. And so and we, we're sitting biting our nails, waiting to see what happens. It's going to come up fast, though. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the, yeah, White that's House, true. the White House withdrew the nomination of David Chipman to lead the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. President Joe Biden announced in a statement Thursday Biden put the blame on Republicans for the inability to get Chipman confirmed, even though there have been concerns among moderate Democrats and independent Maine Senator Angus King, as well as GOP senators, over Chipman's past record on gun control. He would have been an exemplary director of the ATF and would have redoubled its efforts to crack down on illegal firearms traffickers and help keep our communities safe from gun violence, Biden said of Chipman. Unfortunately, Republicans in Congress have made clear that they intend to use gun crime as a political talking point instead of taking serious steps to address it. That's why they've moved in lockstep to block David Chipman's confirmation, and it's why they side with gun manufacturers over the overwhelming majority of the American people in opposing common-sense measures like universal background checks. Chipman said it was an honor to be considered. Um, boy, now he's, he's ready to go before the Academy Awards. Um, <laughs> right. How big a setback is this? But he's not burning this? his bridges, guys. Remember, he's not burning his bridges. He's being cautious. I, I was going to say, how big a setback is this for the president? Would have been worse if he'd have let the nomination go through and be defeated on the Senate floor. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I think any defeat on the floor is is at the in in this time when things are so uh, driven by symbols and and sound bites. I think that's what they wanted to avoid. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much it'll matter in the long run, but uh, it would have been a defeat, I think, in that context. Yes. Well, this, this almost made the quote of the week. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer called the high court's recent refusal to block a controversial Texas law that bars abortions at six weeks, quote, very, very, very wrong. Quote, I'll add one more very. The liberal justice <laughs> told NPR in an interview published Thursday, 
And I wrote a dissent, and that's the way it works. Breyer's comments uh, build on his pointed dissent in the Supreme Court's 5-4 ruling that allowed the Texas law, which is one of the strictest in the nation and bans abortion before many people even know they are pregnant, to remain on the books. In an unsigned opinion, the majority wrote that while the abortion providers had raised serious questions regarding the constitutionality of the Texas law, they had not met a burden that would allow the court to block it at this time due to complex and novel procedural questions. All three of former President Donald Trump's appointees, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, voted with the majority to let the Texas law remain in effect. Are the Trump nominees taking over the court? For the moment. They've got the majority. For yeah. the moment. Yeah, for the moment. Yeah. Guys, be cautious. But when you say for the moment, do you think that the answer is going to be expanding the court size, or how is that going to change in the short term? I don't know. I mean, expand, the only thing about expanding the court is that if you do it, the other side can do it as well. And that yeah. can lead yeah. to very confusing. Well, the only um, other the only other way that it flips back is um, if, for example, uh, Clarence Thomas decided to retire, right, and the Democrats push through somebody from the left to fill that seat. Now, that's almost impossible. But that's the only other way than, than Seth's suggestion of bumping it up by a couple of seats. Yeah. That, that's, my, that's the question. Is I don't know. I don't think there's any other way conceivably that, that it gets more balanced unless, that, unless there's an expansion, which I, I agree. I, I, you know, I agree. I'm not sure that's the best idea either because I think the precedent is horrible. But I'm not sure if there's any other way. You know, one other suggestion that's been tossed out there is the idea of term limits of some kind. You know, and right now, it's a lifetime appointment, so you appoint somebody who's in their mid-40s, and they can be there for the next 30 years or more. And uh, there have been some suggestions that maybe there ought to be a 18- or 20-year term limit for, for judge justices, which would give you a little more rotation. But that's not going to solve the current issue, even if you did that, even if you could do that. And that's, that's probably <coughs> unlikely to happen anyhow. Well, one of the one of the recommendations in American Schism in the third part of the book about structural changes is that we should have term limits, not only for Supreme Court justices, but for for Congress people and senators as well. And you know that, what? That, though, I think that's one of the most important one of most, one of the most important. I'm glad we, you, we take. I'm glad you raised that, Seth, because that's that's one of those inside uh, baseball things like recalls where. Um, you know, it's it's part of the system, but it's the the problem with term limits, as as I've seen them, is that what happens is the elected officials that represent. Well, we could get into a whole discussion about who the elected officials really represent: moneyed interests or voters. But but. Theoretically, they represent the voters, and then there's this whole cadre of, of professionals and lobbyists right. that don't have any term limits. So then you've got this, this rollover in the elected p- 
people. Yeah. And and by time they know, you know, how to maneuver around the lobbyists and the agency heads and staffs, it's it's time to go home and send somebody new. Yeah, and, here in Michigan we have term limits for the the state legislature and. The, in the state house, you can serve three two-year terms, and by the time you're you're you've learned where the washroom is, you're running for your last term and looking for the next job. I actually so, uh, had a state legislator tell me that that they turn to lobbyists for expertise on some yeah, of the things yeah. that come up yeah. before them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, otherwise, well, it, the bureaucrats was running the country, not elected officials. Like uh, you suggested there, Tom and Paul, bureaucrats are running the country, well, and we can't. So have I'm not that. sure. I'm not sure that that term limits by itself, Seth, is is the panacea that we certainly hoped in Michigan when we passed it for for state offices. Well, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a valid. I think your point is valid. But I think it is it, it, when you think about how much of the energy, money, and, and and time of 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 uh, especially of, of of House members, but also senators, is spent re-election. I mean, this this goes back to a broader thesis, which I don't I don't know if we want to get into, Tom, but I talk about it in the book, which is that my my belief is that to a large degree, the entire political establishment is broken. That it has to be that that and, and you know, there's a book by Catherine Gale and and Michael Porter called The Industry of Politics. Which, which shows why, it, it, in many cases, it has a monopolistic power, both parties, that is, is, is now more concerned, less concerned with solving civic problems and more concerned with staying in power. And in fact, there's a disincentive to solve problems because by, by keeping issues front and center, especially ones that are emotional and that cause fear, politicians can better stay in power. So I, you know, it's a very interesting perspective. But one of the solutions, there's a couple of solutions. One is term limits. Of course, campaign finance reform is has has been discussed in detail, and I think that also is part of the part of the the, the uh, opportunity for. But a, a very simple one that that makes a lot of sense is ranked choice voting, because ranked choice voting can break the power of the two parties. I mean, today, when we have a third-party candidate in almost any federal election, it's a spoiler. And the whole premise of ranked choice voting is that it, it actually reflects a closer um, desire. It, it reflects the desires of the people more closely because it, someone who's a third party is not a spoiler. And if, after, if there are five candidates running and the one you chose as a voter gets thrown out, your vote gets counted again because the second person who you preferred is now cast a vote. So, in other words, there are ways, structural ways, to break the monopoly on power that the two parties have. Any other comments on that? I was going to say, isn't ranked choice voting used? I believe in is it used well, in Maine, and I think one other state. I think at least well, one. You know. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Henry. My, my problem <coughs> with. Uh, Limited uh, terms in in politics is that uh, you take away if the people are worth anything. We call ourselves we the people, and all authority is based on people. 
if that's true, and you limit the people from making choices, every opportunity they have to seat their government, then the people don't count anymore. And it's, we're just getting each other. Again, again, paraphrasing. Again, paraphrasing from the West Wing, um, it turns out that we do have term limits. They're called elections. And if if we did some of the other things that, that Seth talks about in his book, um, and, and really campaign finance reform is at the top of that list, if it was actually people voting, they might be more apt to vote someone out if they were unhappy with their performance. As opposed to, you know, uh, establishing a um, uh, a term limit that automatically bounces them after yeah, three, yeah. two terms, three terms, whatever. I mean, you can right. look back at historically and find that, you know, some senators who've been around forever really got to be experts in their area and knew what they were doing. Others were not, but certainly the expertise that you need takes time to develop. Well, look at Carl and Levin. I don't think anybody would have wanted to see Carl Levin stopped short. That's true. Good example. Good he was example. a Michigan yeah. senator for yeah. 36, 38 years or something. He was head of, uh, was it the Armed Services Committee? I believe so, yeah. And he was, um, <clears throat> you know phenomenally reasonable and down-to-earth and, you know, able to work very comfortably on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, he, he was a lifelong Democrat, to be sure, but um, he was uh, definitely um, a public servant in, in every stretch in the, of the, the best sense of that word, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I got two cents worth. <clears throat> I'm going to add about uh, 11 Levin was a Jew, and Jews were criticized all the time. And guess what? It never reflected any animosity in what he said, what he, he did. You know, it's he funny, Henry. He went on uh, through life when doing you, what he had to do. When it was, it's funny, Henry, when you, just now when you said that, I realized that, yeah, I knew he was, that, that Carl Levin was Jewish, but I don't ever remember that showing up anywhere in his politics and no. his campaign. <laughs> it never showed up. Either, either by him or by me. opponents. Yeah. I don't think that was, that, that I really hadn't even thought about about that aspect to, to Carl Levin because it was never an issue. In his, his public No, he life. never made that an issue. And yet, Nor did any uh, of his opponents. Nor did any of his yeah. opponents. He was a real hero for the American dare, dare, dare I say he was a minch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, just reading about all the things that go on in the world with uh, anti-Semitic stuff, he never... I don't think he never defined, he never mentioned those kind of things. He just went on and did what he had to do. He was a gracious man. And I've been in many of his uh, uh, conferences, or at least his news release rooms, uh, when I was there in, war, in Washington uh, uh, in pursuit of health care issues. And I always liked this man. I like him. 
Yeah, as well as, a, a, uh, a lot of people did. But there's an example where we would have lost a good one in term limits, but maybe with campaign finance re reform, we could get some more good ones. we got to take a break. We'll be back with the X-Files. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to Armchair Politics for our uh, final segment of today's edition of the program here on the Tom Sumner program. The X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that uh, <laughs> are strange but true. Um, a Florida man <laughs> <laughs> won a uh, million dollars in a lottery game the same day he and his wife opened an auto repair shop. Brian Woods, 46, um, bought the $5 Gold Rush Supreme scratch-off ticket from a Circle K in Callahan. I, I love working on vehicles and it has always been my dream to own my own car repair shop, uh, Woodle said in a news release sent by the Florida Lottery. At the end of our first day I stopped by Circle K to get a few things and picked up a lottery ticket. Just like that we won a million bucks. He selected to receive a one-time lump sum payment of $880,000, the lottery said. The Circle K store will receive a $2,000 bonus commission for selling the winning ticket. Callahan is near Jacksonville on Florida's Atlantic coast. Do you think Brian will uh, follow other lottery winners and quit his job? Well, maybe he'll, he'll buy a new set of wrenches or something like that for the, for the shop. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll have low, low prices. That's uh, right. That's right. And that always improves his market share. There you go. Well, residents of a community in suburban Maryland are checking their eyesight after spotting three zebras wandering around. I thought my mind was playing tricks on me, Layla Curling of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, told Fox 5 DC. The station said the animals escaped a private game farm at some point last month with uh, police in the community about 20 miles from Washington receiving calls about them starting on August 31st. Animal control officials told NBC Washington station News 4 that the zebras are legally owned and had escaped. The three are currently in a field where a feed station has been set up to corral them. Um, 
how much do black and white stripes really stand out in the D.C. area? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> maybe that's why they were. They how long did they lose? A couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe that's why they were loose for so long. <laughs> right. This is an odd one. Beards aren't just cool and trendy. They might also be an evolutionary development to help protect a man's delicate facial bones from a punch to the face. That's the conclusion of a trio of scientists from the University of Utah who are among the winners of this year's Ig Nobel Prizes. The Nobel Prize spoofs that honor or maybe dishonor, depending on your point of view, strange scientific discoveries. The winners of the 31st annual Ig Nobles being announced Thursday included researchers who, who figured out how to better control cockroaches on U.S. Navy submarines, animal scientists who looked at whether it's safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down, and a team that figured out just how disgusting that discarded gum stuck to your shoe is. For the second year in a row, the ceremony was a roughly 90-minute pre-recorded digital event because of the worldwide coronavirus pandemic, said Mark Abrahams, editor of the Annals of Improbable Research magazine, the event's primary sponsor. Why would anyone even explore transporting an airborne rhino upside down? Uh, (laughs) I have no idea. Good grief. Yeah. That's something to think about. Well, that wraps it up for armchair politics uh, and and the well for the X Files, but uh, that <laughs> brings us to the close of armchair politics. But we do have just just a few minutes left, and I will point out that it looks like I, I tried to get a hold of somebody. Uh, Ben Kaplan, uh, Ben Kaplan, rather, is the founder and CEO of Top Worldwide, the parent company of 12 leading global agencies, including Top Government for politics and issue advocacy and Top Data for polling and marketing research. He uh, is a uh, political analyst based in San Francisco, and I was going to talk to him about the California governor recall election. Uh, this morning on the show, but we didn't connect in time, so he will be on the show tomorrow. Uh, he's a, um, oh, let's see, he covered the Democratic and Republican National Conventions for the Boston Globe. He worked on Capitol Hill for U.S. Senator Mark Hatfield and wrote a uh, syndicated weekly column for the uh, Oregonian, Portland's daily newspaper, as well as being a prize-winning Harvard-trained economist. But his uh, current work has him based in San Francisco, and uh, uh, he's considered an expert analyst, Ben Kaplan, and he will be on the show briefly tomorrow between, uh, looks like, uh, 9.45 and 10 a.m. So you might want to tune in if you're if you're interested in in kind of an insider look at the uh, California recall. Any other uh, any other thoughts or comments or things we didn't get to that uh, anybody wants to? Chime I was in just going to say that that, that that recall for a while looked like it could be a big deal because it looked like Newsom was in trouble early on, but as as they got closer to the election, it, it looked more and more like he was relatively safe, but. You know, a month ago, two months ago, it looked like he was—he could have been in trouble. Yeah, 
I think the polling that showed it so neck and neck and, and showed him in trouble is, uh, is really responsible for getting the Democrats out to vote. I think that could be. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, well, I, 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 I'd just like to say uh, to SF and Paul and you, Tom, a great program. Um, I had nothing but respect and admiration for our guest, Seth, and I'd like to buy his book, and, and I plan to do that That's and right. read it. And, um, and I, I love the title, and I love the preamble to the book about uh, uh, being a successful self-governing body. That's our, that's our, our top threshold of why we're successful. We needed something like that to kind of coalesce what all of this means and why we've survived. And I think that hit the point. Well, thank you. I, one of, you know, one of the reasons, as you guys know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, businessman. Most of my career, I took a three-year hiatus, hiatus to write this book because I'm concerned about making sure that we pass democracy onto our kids. Yes, so am I. Well, Seth, I, I definitely want to echo Henry's uh, sentiments, and I, and I want to thank you for participating today. I hope you will join us on Armchair Politics from time to time. It'd be my pleasure. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to be here with you guys. And I, I like to learn about some of the local issues in Flint that I'm not aware of. Too, so <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to listen when I'm not on. Yeah, there, there, there are some pretty funny things that happen. Um, it's, a, it's a strange town in many ways. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And uh, Paul and Henry, of course, my, my thanks to the both of you for making uh, this such a, a great place to be every week. Always good to be here. Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and uh, we're here every Wednesday for the second and third hour of the Tom Sumner program, two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and uh, national news headlines and uh, current events, and uh, we, we've got a great lineup of, of pundits, so uh, be sure and, and join us regularly for that, and as I mentioned, uh, coming up tomorrow... Um, let's see who else do I have in the in the first hour tomorrow? Uh, I'm gonna open the show with. Um, oh shoot, that's uh, I got I got too many notes here, guys. Um, <laughs> Meg Nacero, she's a former immigration federal prosecutor, and she's written a book called Butterfly Awakens. And we're gonna squeeze in uh, a little talk about the California election um but that's smoking george winters tickling the ivories letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i will be back tomorrow with another edition of the tom sumner program and i hope that you will be too in the meantime have a great day and uh good night everybody the tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.